0: going to be in 1 uh, Samuel chapter 1. I want to look at uh, the power of a mother's prayer today. We're celebrating moms today. Like I said earlier, I'm very grateful for all the praying moms out there. You know, I was telling my mom the other day just how grateful I was and am that all the years she bore me and no one knows a mother's sacrifice. So thank you, moms and the spiritual moms out there and very grateful. And Lord, I pray as we look at your word this morning that you'd speak to us, that you'd teach us what you taught Hannah in her demise, in her situation, And what you were able to bring forth through it, Lord, I pray today for your people, you would bring about this same cry, this same desire and passion to intercede and to pray and to bring forth and to birth your will into the earth. Teach us to pray like this, Lord. Help us, Lord, in our weakness. Help us to join our hearts with your heart in this day and hour that we're living, God, so that your plan can be birthed in the earth and to our lives and in our community and into our families and those we come in contact with, Lord. You've given us life. You've placed your life in our vessels. And God, I pray that that life would reproduce and bring forth your plan of redemption into the lives of others, Lord. So teach us, Lord. Give us ears to hear. Help us to receive and know the things that You're wanting us to know, Holy Spirit. Reveal Your truth in our inner parts, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'll just start off here, right? In 1 Samuel 1. Verse 1. It says there was a certain man of Ramathiam, Zophim of the mountains of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. I had to look up that, how do you pronounce a word? Just to get through that verse. (laughs) Okay. And he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Hosts in Shiloh. Also, the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phineas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah. He would give a double portion for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. It's interesting that her name means favor, grace, is, she's meaning found favor in God's eyes. It doesn't sound like that when you read this description of what the Lord had chosen to do in her life. It says, The Lord had closed her womb. I think it's right for a mother to desire children, a woman to desire children. That's part of God's plan in creation. God has had other plans, though, for her at this moment. The Lord had closed her womb for a purpose. God was desiring to create something inside of her, a burden. A desperation. He wanted to refine her faith and her desires. God had a plan in mind for his people in that day, who were backslidden, who would go through judges and do what good for a while and then go back and rebel the minute the judge was gone. So God had in his mind to raise up a mighty prophet. That would speak the word of God to the people. That would anoint a king named David. Through whom his plan of redemption would come into the world. Where he would save his people from their sins. So there was a a much bigger picture than what Hannah could see at this moment. She didn't understand, but God was raising up an intercessor. God is raising up intercessors today. And we're going to learn how God produces an intercessor. Someone who stands in the gap for the souls of others. Because God uses intercessors, people who pray with his burden to birth his plans into the earth. And as we're going to see, it doesn't come without trial. It doesn't come without opposition. That God allows us and he uses to refine the process, to refine the vessel that he wants to use. In that hour and in this hour. So we see in verse 6, her rival also provoked her severely to make her miserable. Because the Lord had closed her womb. Because of what God had allowed. She was being provoked severely. And we have a rival, don't we? What was God doing here? Why would God allow such a thing? He was refining her faith. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us. It's working something in us. A far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. Something so much bigger than we sometimes see in the midst of a trial. While we don't look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. In other words, God is... Through our trials, wanting us to look up. He's wanting us to take our eyes off the natural. He's drawing us away from our lives in this world and the cares of this life. He's trying to get our attention to the things that matter through our afflictions. And he needs people that see above this life and that have eyes set on eternity. And the reward that the heroes of faith saw in Hebrews chapter 11. If she, if Hannah could only see, only understand at this moment what God was working out in her and through her for his eternal plan. If she could only lay hold of that at this moment, God's plan of salvation that she was a part of, And the mighty prophet that would come forth from her womb. If she could only see it at, at that moment. And it says it was this way year by year. When she went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her. Therefore she wept. And she did not eat. I think about the moms that suffer with children. I was thinking about my mom when I read that. And A mom knows those hours, those dark hours in the night or the years maybe when a son is addicted to drugs and they don't know if he's going to come home in the morning. They carry it in their heart. She's carrying this burden. Only a mother maybe would understand or someone that has learned to intercede for others. Year after year, it's a long process. God's patient. He's not in a hurry. He knows what he's doing. He's looking for people that will submit to his refining fire. People he can purify. People he can redeem or use to redeem a lost world unto himself. And that's where it starts with us personally. Now in verse 8, it says, Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And you know, when you're burdened like that, it consumes you. The type of burden she was carrying and, just day by day, year by year at at this moment or at times was so consuming there was nothing that could alleviate it. It's that way sometimes. It's there all the time. And that's something God wants to do in us for souls. For His burden for souls. It's just there all the time. And sometimes it's so intense. Nothing alleviates it. Those in darkness, dead in sins, who need to be born again, who need to have a breath of God's life imparted to them. It says in verse 9, So she arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. And Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And the words used here just probably can't describe perfectly what she was going through. But it gives us a picture, a little bit, of just what was going on inside of her. You know, bitterness of soul. And it's like being oppressed with grief. You're just overcome with grief. It's like I thought about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's like being in an olive press, you know, just being crushed by the burden. Bitterness of soul. How many, again, moms gone through that? Wives. Loved ones. And it says she wept in anguish. Prayer sometimes comes forth in agony like that. an an utterance of agony that's accompanied with tears. Intercession is like that sometimes. I forgot who quoted this, but someone said this. We haven't followed Christ very closely or very far if we don't know in our own prayer experience times that deep prayer burden, prayer wrestling, even perhaps prayer agony if we haven't watched and prayed with him as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, where his grief and agony in the trail of prayer was so intense that he sweat drops of blood. And he said to his disciples, could you not watch with me one hour? In other words, he wants us to enter into that with him. We actually are invited to enter into that. I, I honestly believe God is looking for vessels to enter into that today. People that want to join him in his passion, in his burden for souls, in the travail for souls. We see this in Scripture. The Scripture likens this inward groaning to actually birth. Paul says in Galatians 4.19, my little children of whom I travail in birth, again, until Christ is formed in you. It's a picture. It's like, you know, I've never had a baby. Some of you ladies that have. Is that pleasant? No. Well, that's what it's like sometimes when you're praying for souls and you're birthing something in the spiritual realm. We see it in Elijah in 1 Kings 18, where he actually takes the posture of a woman giving labor. And he's praying intensely to bring forth God's will in the earth. Martin Luther said this, uh, I question if any believer can have a burden of souls upon him, a passion for souls and not agonize in prayer. Charles Finney, a a famous revivalist, records in his autobiographical memoirs many accounts of times in prayer. And I'm just going to read one description. My soul was in utter agony. I spent almost the entire day in prayer in my stateroom or walking the deck in intense agony in view of the state of things. In other words, the world, maybe the state of the church, a burden that just was there and at this moment gripped him to where all day, he said, I felt crushed with the burden that was on my soul. It was the spirit of prayer that was upon me, that which I have often before experienced in kind, perhaps But perhaps never before to such a degree, for so long a time, after a day of such unspeakable wrestling and agony in my soul, just at night, the subject cleared up in my mind. The Spirit led me to believe that all would come out all right. (laughs) Praise the Lord. That God had yet work to do for me. That I might be at rest, that the Lord would go forward with his work, would give me the strength to take any part in it that he desired. And I'll just say this anyone in ministry that's doing real ministry totally understands that. (laughs) And God is so faithful. It's the joy that comes in the morning. You know, we go through that dark night of the soul, we're laboring, we're overcome. We're in intense agony, but somehow, in the midst of it, at the right moment, light breaks forth and God speaks and we know He has heard us. That's what praying through means. I've had this experience many times. I've had it recently. It's painful, but yet there's something... About it, I can't describe to you. The fellowship you experience with the Lord, and then the encouragement that there is a God that hears, and somehow what you thought was impossible, he gives you. And you go on. And you lift your head up, and you know he's in control. And you know he knows what he's doing. And you know he knows how to bring forth what he has laid on your heart. And I know a lot of you know what that feels like. Feels like the day's never going to come. That burden's just always there. God hears you. Don't lose heart. He's going to answer you. He's going to reassure you. In Principles of Prayer, Finney said this, Doubtless, one great reason why God requires the exercise of this agonizing prayer is that it forms such a bond of union between Christ and the church. It creates such a sympathy between them. It's as if Christ pours the overflowing of his own benevolent heart into His people and He leads them to sympathize, to cooperate with Him as they never would do in any other way. That's what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit. That's Christ in you. Oswald Smith rightly records, he says, we expect extraordinary results. Extraordinary results are quite possible. Signs and wonders will follow, but only through extraordinary efforts in the spiritual realm. Hence, nothing short of continuous, agonizing pleading for souls. Hours upon hours, days and nights of prayer will ever avail. As we yield to that spirit of prayer... Manifestations such as groaning, agonizing, weeping, strong crying might pour forth from the heart. and We shouldn't be nervous over such expressions, but we should give ourselves as instruments of Christ, playing our part in birthing his purposes. He is the birthing agent. We are like the midwives who aid in the birthing process. Let this sanctuary return into a birthing room. That's been my prayer of late. Lord, let this sanctuary... Okay, verse 11. Now, she made a vow. And she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor will come upon his head. And that was a vow they would make, a Nazarite vow. It was consecrating that child. The Lord. And so something happens here. I believe something happened for Hannah. I believe somewhere in this process it went from, I want a child, I want a child, to whatever you grant me, Lord, I'm giving it back to you. Because now I realize it's not about what I want, it's about what you want. And he wanted the child. He wanted Isaac from Abraham. And he said, Now I know you fear me. Now I can fulfill my plan for you. See, something has to happen for us to be a true intercessor, it has to go away from what I want. To what he wants. It's what Jesus wrestled through. In the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if this cup can pass. Jesus shows us that in his humanity. He struggled with the cup of suffering. But he prayed through. That was the agony. That was. I mean, if you want to look at intercession. Just read that account. But yet. What's produced in in him is nevertheless, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. And he's strengthened. God will give us what we need to carry out his plan. He's birthing something. This is what God's after in all of us. This is what the trials and the opposition bring forth in a child of God. It's what it's supposed to. A refined faith that's being purified. That's having its heart set more and more in the unseen. Not the now. Not what's going to make me happy now. But God, it's about you. It's about your kingdom. It's about your glory. It's about rescuing souls. It's about using my life to reconcile, to be an ambassador for you. In my time here on earth, it's really about surrender because uh, really you see in verse 11, she uses this phrase maidservant a few times here. And what we see really is the heart of uh, sacrifice that God produced in her. And before you can pray right, you have to have a sacrificial heart. In other words, you've had to already have made up your mind that you are giving your life as a sacrifice. That's what made Jesus an effective intercessor. He came to do the Father's will. He came as a sacrifice. Therefore, he's able to intercede for us. In James... 1 verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally without reproach, it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man. He's unstable in all his ways. In other words, it's someone with their eyes on the eternal end on earth. It's a divided heart. This was a a term the Jews would use to express the man who attempted to worship, worship God yet retained a love for the creature or his life in this world. But God brought Hannah to the place where we all have to come to, where she understood. It was worth sacrificing whatever earthly... Desires or dreams or plans she had for her life for the eternal purposes of God and for God's glory. The true intercessor is a man or woman who knows that God knows of him that in his heart and life they are wholly given up for his glory. Like I said, that's how God knew Abraham was ready. He said, now I know. Now I know. Jesus proved it. It says in verse 12, It happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her. He watched her mouth. And Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. You know what I've learned? Sometimes people will misjudge something God is doing in you. They'll mistake fervent desire and prayer as something wrong, or um, and we have to be willing to be misjudged, to be mocked, spoken false about. I mean, they said of the disciples when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were drunk because of the way they were acting. It wasn't in order. It was bizarre. Well, what would happen here in this room if this became a birthing place? There might be people crying out in agony. There might be groanings that would disturb us. Shrieks. Agony. People falling on the ground, prostrate. Tears, weeping. You see, when God lays his burden upon you, It gets messy. It doesn't look pretty. It's not proper. It's actually disturbing. It might disturb the people around you. But Hannah said, no, Lord. No, my Lord. I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk no wine or intoxicating drink, but I've poured my soul out before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant a wicked woman. For out of the abundance of my complaint and grief, I have spoken until now. And then Eli answered and said, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition, which you have asked of him. So God speaks to her through this priest. God's heard you. And something in her believed that. And she got up. Um, and we'll see later, she went on her way, confident that God had heard her. And there comes a point where we have to lay hold of the promises of God. We have to know that God has spoken to us. And he has spoken to us in his word. Amen. Now, we've got to understand... It wasn't what she thought. It wasn't exactly what she asked for. My wife is a barren woman in the natural. We never had children. We prayed. I prayed. I had such a desire for kids. I used to be at one point, I didn't even want to be around babies. Because I was hurting inside. And we prayed. We had people lay hands on us. But God was refining something in us. And then one day, he spoke to me. You're not having your own children. And I had to say, yes, Lord, not my will. Thy will be done. But now we look back, how many spiritual kids do we have? How many women have you birthed? prayer and discipleship and we look back on our life of ministry and we realize we couldn't have done what we did if we had kids so God had a different plan but if I would have got bitter and God didn't do what I wanted him to do I would have missed God God is good he knows what he's doing and he's got a better plan than we do and he sees things that we don't see. And we have to learn to, to get beyond the earthly. And to understand He's working out something so much greater. So we have to let go of those earthly things. Those things we just think we got to have. And we got to say, nevertheless, Lord, not my will. Thy will be done. Use me. God, I'm yours. You saved me. You gave yourself for me. You died a horrible death. You took my sins upon you. It was me you were praying for in the garden that you pressed through in that agony. You had me on your heart. You you had every human being. He was pleading for souls. Because only he understands the, the horror of an eternity without him. That's why he could go through what he went through. That's what drove him. It was the Father's heart. It was the Father's will to be the sacrifice, to be the way to redeem mankind, to birth eternal life into people that were dead, that were barren. There was no hope. And, you know, I fully understood. I got to the point. I said, Lord, you can open a womb. You can close a womb. I I believed him. He could open my wife's womb. I fully had faith for that. That wasn't his will. Praise God. Praise the Lord. We have to lay hold of the promises of God. We have to lift up our heads in confidence that God has heard us, even if it doesn't look like what we think it should look like. We really need to learn how to pray through in that way. I listened to a Leonard Ravenhill talk, and he was talking about William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. And, you know, you do this kind of thing in a service today, and it, I just know what happens. People get upset, but and I guess William Booth had a really gruff voice, and so uh, Leonard Raven was at this meeting, and uh, the preaching went forth, and he gives an altar call, and uh, he guess looks over to maybe his elders, whoever he says, pray, maybe like that. He's very gruff. Pray, and they wait, wait. No one comes to the altar. Pray harder. And they're, oh, okay, you know, we better pray. And they wait and they wait and they wait. No one comes to the altar. I said, pray harder. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> we better pray, <laughs> you know. And after a while, the altars flood with people weeping, and repenting. It was something that needed to be burst in the spiritual realm. And people were willing to maybe look a certain way or pray a certain way because there were souls at stake. It wasn't all, you know, when's this going to be over so I can get to lunch? or No, there's souls hanging in the balance. He understood that. Pray. Souls are perishing. Pray. It came to pass, it says in verse 20, the process of time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, saying, because I've asked for him from the Lord. And that's what his name means. <laughs> asked of God. It's good for us to remind ourselves. God, you heard me. I know my wife has a journal, all the answered prayers. It's good to remind ourselves. She named her son so she would remember. I asked for that. <laughs> Every time she said his name, I asked God. (laughs) Now, the man Elkanah, verse 21, And all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice at his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I will take him, that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. So the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him. Now, when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bulls, one ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young, and they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli, and she said, O my Lord, As your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here by you, praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me the petition for which I asked him. Therefore, I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worship the Lord there. So I want you moms to imagine this. I'm watching the moms. I don't know when the weaning thing is done, but whenever that's done, imagine... You take the child now, you bring him to the temple, and you say, Here you go. And you go home. And you see him maybe once a year. You make a little ephod for him to wear as he's training. God's looking for intercessors who will take up his burden, share in his sacrifice. And suffering so that he can bring his people back. So he can rescue souls. You see, there's a barrenness in much of the church today. We really are in grave need of revival. We really are. Sometimes we don't understand how much we need the life of God birthed into us. We can become like the church at Sardis that have a name that they live, but they're dead or they're almost dead. They're dying. We need revival. We need God to breathe life into his people in this hour. And really what that does, it ramps up, it amplifies the Christian experience. It makes the Holy Spirit's work in a person's life, undeniable. It demonstrates what's important to God. It exposes how far people have departed from Him. It's not for those who enjoy the status quo. It will unsettle those who rationalize and accommodate their sin. It will unsettle apathetic Christians with its fervency. And when we, the church, realize that if the Spirit doesn't breathe fresh life into our midst, we'll continue to suffer spiritual powerlessness, cultural irrelevance, and we'll understand that revival is the only answer in this hour. And God is calling us to pray like Hannah, like an Elijah, like a Moses. Like Jesus, like so many other saints that have gone before us. You know, James said Elijah was just like you and I. We read accounts, you know, I, I read, I listen to accounts of saints of old, and you think in your head, like, okay, that's like extreme. That's like, okay, God did that in him, but that ain't going to happen for me. Why did God put all these examples in Scripture? So we can look and say, well, that'll never happen for me. No, he puts him there so we'll understand the same grace that worked in their lives. Because he says he had a nature just like ours. Hannah was just like you ladies. She struggled, she had issues. I'm sure she had times where she just despaired of life. But God's grace, she had favor. That's what her name meant. God was working in her. God was working in Elijah. God was working in the disciples. They weren't special people. The disciples, for sure. God wants us to believe Him that we can operate just like they did. He could use us just like He used them. Especially in this hour. The scriptures say we are now God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created in Christ to pray. His spirit dwells within us. It should be the very nature of a child of God because he lives within us. We've been perfectly adapted for prayer. Hannah prayed for a child, and then she gave him back to the Lord because the Lord had other plans. And I want to encourage you today. I know we have things we pray for personally. I know some of you have children that you carry around your burden with family members, a mother, a father, an aunt, an uncle, a cousin maybe your neighbor, maybe somebody at your job that you just you carry that burden. Maybe just out and about. And you see people lost, groping. You understand they're like corpses walking around. They're dead inside. But you also know who your God is. You know what God's done in your life. You know the hope You found in Christ. God wants you to pray, to intercede, to take up his burden for them. He doesn't want you to lose heart. He wants you to believe him for the grace to pray like Hannah, to pray like an Elijah. And all you need to is say, Lord, here I am. I am a living sacrifice. Lord, I surrender my vessel to you. I give the rights of my life. I give my time for your purpose, Lord. And I trust you, Lord, to give me the grace to stand in the gap, to intercede, to share in your sufferings, to enter into the garden with you, to pray with you an hour so that I might know the joy of that fellowship. There is joy, people. It's not... It's not morbid, trust me. It's wonderful. It's painful, but it's wonderful. And you'll never understand it. You'll never understand the heart of God unless you enter into that because it's such a deep expression of His love. It really is. And Lord, I pray for all of us, Lord. You've been really... Drawing me, giving me a hunger for more of this. And Lord, I pray for all of us this morning. God, that you'd help us. That you'd draw us, that you'd help us to even be willing to take up your burden, Lord. Use us. Make this church a birthing place. A labor room, Lord, for souls. Make our homes, make our prayer closets a labor room for souls. Increase our faith to believe you, Lord, not to despair, not to lose hope, but to know there's a God who hears us. There's a God who answers according to his will, according to his time, according to his plans and purposes. Help us not to lose heart, Lord, as dark as it might get, as as long as it might seem. Lord, I pray for the grace to uphold us, Lord. You needed a supernatural grace to get you through, Lord. How much more we, and you found it in that place, in that wine press, or that olive press, Lord, in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where you found the strength to give up your life and to pray from the cross, Father, forgive them. The greatest intercessory prayer maybe there could be as you're being crucified by the very people you're praying for. God, put that heart in us that we would agonize in that way over souls so that we can see that new life when it comes forth, Lord. God, teach us like Hannah to worship you before it happens, because she did, and then to worship you when it happens, because there's joy, Lord, when a new soul is birthed into your kingdom. We want to join in with you with that joy, Lord, and it comes through the fellowship of the suffering, but also... In, the, in the, the new life, a, a soul being born into your kingdom. So, Lord, have your way, Lord. And I do pray you'll bless every mother today. You know what they need. You know what this day means for each one. And, Lord, I just pray you'll meet every mother as you see their need and according to your mercy today, Lord. Give them what they need today, Lord mothers all over this world. God, just have your way. So we thank you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us. I pray this word would produce in us what you're wanting to produce in the days to come. In Jesus' name I pray.